0: You are listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This is season two. It is episode 17. Cubs spring training, no hitter. Don't forget to listen,
1: download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews former Cubs all-star Jody Davis. Jody, Jody Davis,
0: king of the Cubs frontier in honor of Harry Carey. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm with all-star catcher, who played for the Cubs from 1981 to 1988. I am well happy to welcome Jody Davis. Jody, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Uh we've we've spent an adventurous afternoon to get this so I'm glad we finally got this internet working. Well,
0: we we did it, Jody. We were successful. Um the reason I asked you to come on besides being one of my favorite Cubs is you've had a lot of experience in your career with spring training. We've obviously been in uh, for a couple of weeks now spring training's been going on you were drafted by the mets in 1976 and you were traded to the cardinals in 1979 so two of the cubs big rivals back in the day but the cubs picked you up in 1980 on the rule five draft when you were a young player what did you remember about your first few spring trainings what was that experience like
1: well my first one, I, you know, I was drafted out of high school and I had never caught a game until I was out of high school. Uh, we uh, had a really good uh, American Legion team that that played in the summer, went, went to one the state, but our, our catcher got hurt one day and uh, we had a double hitter coming up and our Legion coach says, uh, hey, Jody, can you try and catch? And I, I said, yeah, I'll try it and fell in love with it, did pretty good. Uh, went on, got drafted. I caught about 15 games, so... Uh, my first spring training, I was just trying not to get killed. Uh, I had to buy a catcher's mitt to go to spring training. I didn't even have one. I was just borrowing one where I'd catch, you know, in Legion. And uh, so I was a little over my head the first couple of spring trainings as I learned how to catch. And uh, finally, about the third and the fourth, I, you know, I kind of picked it up a little bit. But, you know, the guys that I was catching uh, in American Legion weren't throwing near as hard as what I ended up seeing when I got to spring training.
0: When you got to those early spring trainings, were there any guys that you were just kind of in awe that you saw, guys that maybe you watched on TV or listened to on the radio that you couldn't believe that they were in the same camp with you or that you were playing against?
1: Oh, not that much early. You know, uh, like I said, I went right into like a high school level. So, you know, we we were looking at the AAA and and the big league guys uh, in the stadiums uh, a little bit different. You know, we, we wanted their job, but At that particular time, I was just fighting for my life and and trying to learn how to catch.
0: Now, as a young player at spring training, what did you think was important to do to get the attention of the managers and the veteran teammates to get them to notice you?
1: Well, obviously, you know, everybody's coming from all over the world and and all over the country. And and for me, I thought it was huge that that I let the coaches know that I was in shape. So when I went to spring training – I didn't want to be that guy that went to spring training to get in shape. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to note those guys to know right away that, uh, you know, that I've been working and, and I came in ready to play. That's, that's
0: a way to do it. Now you made your major league debut on April 21st, 1981. Now, do you remember that spring training prior to the 1981 season? You didn't break camp with the team, but it wasn't long before you were there. Did someone talk to you like a coach that you're close, that you may be called up?
1: Uh, no, nobody nobody told me at all. Uh, you know, I I knew that I was rule five, but going into that spring training, I was playing winter ball in Mexico, so I got through playing winter ball and had about eight or ten days off before spring training started. So I went in there. I was, you know, pretty much uh, regular season shape. So, uh, And then the rule five, I, I knew I was going to get to spend – at least 90 days in the big leagues or I was going to go back to St. Louis. So I didn't, I didn't figure that, that the Cubs are going to let me go back to St. Louis. So, uh, but it came right down to the wire and I had to go, uh, in the office and ask Joe Malfitano if I was going to make the team, you know, I, I got a pack to go to Chicago or I got a pack to go somewhere else. And if I'm not going to Chicago, I'm going to be here a little bit longer. So, uh, he let me know that, that I was, was going to break camp with the team and, uh, Awful exciting times uh, Get to get on that plane and go to Wrigley Field and work out and play.
0: Now in 1983, you played a career-high 151 games. You batted 271. You hit 24 home runs. Jody, look at this picture right here. This is from spring training 1983. And for the podcast listeners out there, Jody's talking about coming to camp in shape. The guy's got bicep and forearms. Looks like Popeye. Looked like you were ready to play. Uh, When you had that season, right now in 83, you had that great year. In 84, you got your first All-Star Game selection. As you became an established veteran on the team, did that change your approach to spring training?
1: Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, I think I probably made as much progress after my first complete season, my rookie year, going into my second season because uh, Dallas Green came over First thing he did was brought Keith Moreland with him. And he said right into right into paper that Keith Moreland was going to be his catcher. And so I, I had a little extra incentive. I worked out really hard all winter because I, I I'm saying to myself, Keith Moreland's not getting my job and then got to spring training and, and Keith and I ended up being best friends. And Keith was telling me, so just be patient. They're going to find a place for me to go play and hit. You're going to be the catcher. And we, like I said, we really got along. So, uh, I kind of took that starting job over uh, in '82, and then, like you said, going into '83, I was a little more comfortable going into the season because I felt like I was going to be the catcher. So, uh, uh, you know, obviously went to spring training ready, ready to work and uh, in shape, and 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 had a great year.
0: Now, you mentioned Dallas Green, and and that was my generation of Cubs baseball watching and falling in love with it. Very similar this year. Jed Hoyer brought a lot of high character, high leadership guys with experience winning in winning organizations. You're talking about Dansby Swanson. You're talking about Cody Bellinger, Jamison Tayon. These are guys that have a winning pedigree. Same thing happened with you guys when Dallas Green in what, 83, when 84, when he starts to bring in, uh, Bobby Dernier and Gary Matthews, guys that had a reputation as leaders in the clubhouse. How did that make a difference with the clubhouse dynamics when those guys came to the team?
1: Oh, it was huge, uh, and you know, it started back in '82. Uh, like I said, Dallas came over and he brought in Keith Moreland and and I think Dicky Knowles and and some of those guys that were proven winners in Philadelphia, guys that that Dallas knew from Philadelphia, and they knew that they were we're all about winning and, uh, paying the price. And, uh, that's kind of what got us started. And then 84, we, 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 had a lot better team in 83, but 84, you know, we, we weren't having a great spring training and, uh, they brought in the Sarge and Bobby D, uh, with about four or five games to go in spring training. And that, That was two pieces of the puzzle that we were really missing. We needed a leadoff guy in front of Rhino, and we needed another veteran leader. I mean, we had Larry Boa there since uh, 82. But uh, bringing in Sarge, I think, gave everybody in the clubhouse more confidence. And then, of course, he went and and got Sutcliffe in June and then Eckersley a little bit later, and all the pieces just fell into place.
0: Now, you had a great career. You know, pretty much your entire career was almost with the Cubs. You know, you did a little bit of time with – the Atlanta Braves, but when your career was over, you were a minor league manager and a roving catching instruction instructor for the Cubs. I know you managed the, the Peoria Chiefs, Daytona Cubs. You won championships there. The Boise Hawks. Um, the Cubs have an interesting minor league staff. A lot of great, a uh, lot of great coaches in there. When you guys are in spring training as minor league coaches. How much does the manager kind of, you know, kind of get your opinion or your input on certain players, certain things that you were – I know I think you – you know, when you were in the Cubs system, Dusty Baker and Lou Pinello were managers. Did you ever, you know, have conversations about young players and kind of let those guys know what those – you know, what, what you thought about those players?
1: Uh, not too much. I, I was at such a low level. You know, I, I spent most of my managing uh, – in low A and then at Daytona and high A. So those guys weren't really interested too much uh, about the guys that I had at the lower levels. But as I moved up and got into Cincinnati, triple uh, hitting coach, triple A manager, double A manager, uh, the the big league managers were a lot more uh, interested in in the guys that I had because they knew that, that those guys could jump you know, from where I was then. So uh, it was a lot more conversation.
0: Okay. And so, like you mentioned, you not only worked for the Cubs, you also worked for the Reds, you also worked for the Padres uh, as a hitting instructor. And so, you you know, with those three teams, the Cubs, the Reds, the Padres, as a manager, as a coach, were there any players that you saw in spring training that right away you said, that guy's special, that guy has a chance to really have a, a, a potentially Hall of Fame career in the MLB?
1: Uh, I I don't know if we could go as far as, say, in the uh, Hall of Fame guys. Uh, everybody kind of sees something a little different in these guys and, and certainly uh, saw some guys that thought were going to play in the big leagues, didn't know how, you know, how far they could go. Uh, I was a catching coordinator and actually converted Robinson Chirinos from a middle infielder to a catcher, so that was – that was a big thrill for me to watch his career and uh, all the games that he played as a catcher and, uh, you know, really had a great relationship with, with Robin.
0: Now I don't, I'm sure you're aware, but Gabby Hartnett leads the Cubs catchers with the most home runs with 231, but you're second with 122 right behind you is Wilson Contreras who finished his Cub career with 117. So, you know, it's interesting to me, I don't know if you've been kind of, you know, watching or following along to kind of that drama, but the Cubs seem to feel that they're they're emphasizing uh, run prevention this year. Pitching and run prevention seems to be where they're really kind of pushing. How important was that conversation and, and relationship that you had with the starting pitchers like Sutton, and Trout, and all those guys? How important is that, that communication and, and confidence that they have that they could throw whatever pitch, and they knew that Jody Davis wasn't going to let it get past him?
1: Well, that's, that's pretty much what they told me uh, when I first came to the big leagues in 81, my rookie year, they told me they wanted me to catch lock balls, throw runners out, and call a good game, lead these pitchers through, so I mean, actually at one time they told me they didn't care if I ever got a hit, but you know, being a competitor, and I'd always felt like I could hit throughout the minor leagues, uh, for me, defense was totally number one, Uh, if I could get a hit to win a game, you know, I got to pick my spots, Uh, obviously if I'm going up there in the ninth inning and we're down a couple runs, uh, I'm trying to change the score, so the way I run, I wasn't trying to get singles, but uh, the communication with the pitchers uh, is huge. Uh, these guys, you know, I, well, I, if you're catching every day, it's easy because you're out there with them every day and, and you learn what they're thinking and, and you know what their stuff is. So uh, the communication part is just, uh, is just huge.
0: And, and and the funny thing right now, I don't you know now that they have this pitch come, Jody, where the catcher and the pitcher can kind of communicate. How much would you have enjoyed doing that as opposed to putting down the fingers and the signs?
1: Well, I you know I, I don't know I'm, I have mixed feelings, especially on you know a guy can't throw to first or he can't try to pick off. I mean that that's a huge part of slow of slowing base stealers down. Uh, of course, I played in an era where everybody was running, you know a lot more than. Uh, than nowadays, so I don't know how that's going to affect the game, but uh, I think holding runners on, man, that's a huge part of a pitcher's game, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But you know, it, it's I'm kind of mixed feelings because the you know the the commissioner baseball, you know that they, they want offense. I mean, everything is created. Offense puts people in the seats, right? You know the, you know the attendance records are. Or you know, they want to see offense. The fans wanna go to a game see offense now. So if you're gonna have offense, the games are gonna run a little bit longer. It takes longer innings to, to score some runs. So uh, you know, and being in the minor leagues, we're we're so used to the pitch clock down there, uh, you know, it's it's almost like it it wasn't even there because pitchers nowadays are gonna get the ball and throw it. They they understand that working fast is better for their defense. So uh, be interesting to see how how
0: it works out. Yeah. Like you said, you have the disengagement rule. You have, you know, the bigger basis now is to try to increase. I remember like you saying, the guys like Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and all those, you know, Bobby D, all those guys running around like crazy. It was a lot of fun. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the catchers as far as, you know, trying to make sure you have a strong arm, you can throw it to second. And I think the back pick is going to be important too.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I I didn't quite understand you. I I think you were talking about the size of the bases and uh, the rule changes and all. I don't think that the size of the bases is going to have much of an impact, to tell you the truth.
0: Hmm. Now, I know last season you visited the South Bend Cubs. What words did you have for the minor leaguers, and did you have a chance to talk to their young catchers like Pablo Aliendo and Casey Opitz?
1: I did not have a chance to talk to the catchers. I, I did talk. Uh, with the offensive players, uh, I w- got to sit in on an offensive meeting, and it's amazing today. Uh, and and I knew this as a manager, uh, in the double A AA and triple A level how much information offensive guys have on pitchers now. I mean, they got video from every pitch that they've ever thrown in the minor league, so you know, you can get a, a good read on and a good game plan on a pitcher. And so, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was interesting to sit into those meetings and uh, he- watch those guys come up with a game plan for the game.
0: Now, you know, I did, this is a picture right here of you and I, uh, we were, we were at the bar at, uh, at Cubs convention. How much fun was it for you to be back at Cubs convention and how much fun is it to see your old teammates?
1: That, that's what makes it for us. So obviously uh, Cub fans are the best fans in the world and getting that three days to uh, mingle with them and hear their stories about when we played and uh, and so on and so on with that. But the reunion with the guys that we played with is really just uh, incredible, you know, see those guys because, we do, you know, we're, we're around the ballpark all summer, but a lot of times we're never there at the same time. So, you know, getting to see your old teammates and uh, even, even the guys that played in front of us, Billy Williams and those guys, Fergie, uh, that that's what makes it a great trip for us.
0: Now, the last couple of days, Pat Hughes has been calling games with your old pitcher, Rick Sutcliffe. Here's a picture of you and Sut at Wrigley Field. I'm guessing someone was throwing a first pitch. Maybe you were catching the first pitch. Have you been, you know, watching Sut doing his stuff on the broadcasting? Do you ever get a laugh and you enjoy listening to his calls of the game?
1: Yeah, I enjoy listening to him, uh, <laughs> you know you got to know Sutton as good as I do to, to know when he's really uh, full of it. If I, I guess I can use that. that uh, but, no, Sut really knows the game and has been around it a long time. And, uh, you know, he's been behind that mic a long time. And, and just huge congratulations to Pat uh, on getting into the Cubs Hall of Fame. Uh, something that, that we all strive for, I guess. And uh, hopefully some of that 84 bunch will go in here in the next couple of years. I can tell you that Cubs Twitter is is pounding their
0: fists for more 84 Cubs in the Cubs Hall of Fame and to have you guys get recognized. I, I don't think, Jody, sometimes people realize, you know, they, they think of Wrigley Field and they think of sold out 40,000 every day and they don't understand that, you know, after that, that 1969, when you talk about the mid to late 70s to the early 80s, Wrigley Field was empty. What well, you guys help put everything back on the map.
1: Well, that's, that's one thing that we're proud of. Uh, We, we kind of feel like we got the Cubs started in this direction. Uh, We didn't get it quite done there in 84. We, you know, we, we let that slip away, but uh, uh, we, we kind of feel like we, we started uh, the organization back on the track of winning again. And, and like you said, uh, my rookie year, first, 81, 82, 83, you know, it would it'd be a sellout on opening day, and then they'd be 4,000 there on the next day. So uh, it's it's great to go to Wrigley, uh, you know, especially when it's full like this. Uh, just a great ballpark.
0: You know, we were talking about the 84 team. Next year marks the 40th anniversary of that 1984 team. So for those of people that are listening to this podcast right now and are like, why is Crawley not talking about 84? We are going to talk to a lot of the 84 guys next year for the celebration. I just love to, you know, Jody has so many good opinions about spring training. And as both a, a player and a manager, I wanted to have him on to talk about that. So don't worry, it's coming with Jody. We'll, we'll get him back on here. But Jody, one exciting thing is you started dabbling now a little bit into social media. And I wanted people to kind of know that this is really you. So if, you know, sometimes there's a lot of fake social media accounts this is your official social media account right here. It says this is your Facebook account. It says Jody Davis. It's got a great picture of Jody swinging. Look at that! Look at the head placement, Jody. Look at the head placement right there. That's that's a home well, run, that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I hit a grand slam on that swing. Uh, it, it's on one of my baseball cards actually, and uh, we found that we found the picture that wasn't the baseball card, so it doesn't look like a baseball card. But uh, yeah, that was. Uh, Pretty good swing there, and uh, like you said, uh, I'm just getting into this social media thing, so uh, hopefully everybody will will come on board and follow, and uh, we can have some fun with this.
0: And so this right here is Jody Davis with him swinging on Facebook, and then the background banner is a Davis jersey with his number seven. So that's where you look at Facebook. Now, Jody, you're also on Twitter, and for those people that want to follow Jody Davis on Twitter, it's at jody davis mlb and i'll make sure to link it for everybody that's interested it says the official account professional athlete who played major league baseball for 10 season and coached many many more so at jody davis mlb will be your twitter account i already see that you're active a lot of the pictures that i put up on this podcast came from your twitter account so you're doing a great job and as a cub fan like i said who grew up and lived and died with that 84 team I appreciate you taking some time today, Jody, to come on and and tell us a little bit about your spring training experiences.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Crawley. It's been fun, and hopefully we get to do it many more times. Absolutely, and we'll see you pretty soon, hopefully at Club 400 pretty soon. All right, we'll do it. You take care, Jody. I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I talk honestly